Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hi, I'm your inner dream monologue, and you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that listeners may find offensive or distressing. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. How you doing, George? All right. It's been a long day. Uh, Can't argue with that. What's that floating out in the canal? Looks like a dead calf. Probably from one of the nearby farms. Oh, fellas, please. I'm trying to enjoy my lunch. Can we not talk about dead things? I'm not so sure that's an animal. What else would it be? Y- you think you think it might be a, a body? George, for Christ's sake, my lunch. Will you shut up about your lunch? Look, out there. What does that look like to you? <sighs> Jesus. Better get a boat out there. I changed my mind. Maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Well, you want to back out now? After we've rode all the way out? I ain't never seen a corpse before. And I've never handled one neither. Maybe we should call the police? Let them handle this. If we don't get the body out of the water, it'll float downstream. (sighs) You're right. Can either of you reach her? I think I've got her arm. Oh. Oh, God. Oh, she looks like my little girl. You don't think she's that kid from the papers? The one they say was stolen by gypsies? I thought they were hoping to find her alive. Not anymore. This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories. You're listening to our first episode on Elsie Parobeck's murder. If you want to hear our investigation into other cold cases, you can listen, subscribe, and write reviews on your favorite podcast directory. You can also listen through our website, parcast.com, spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T.com. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. On April 8, 1911, at 11.30 in the morning, a five-year-old girl named Elsie Parobeck walked out the door of her Chicago home. Elsie, 
Where are you going? I want to visit Auntie. All right. Don't be out too late. I won't. And don't forget a hat. <sighs> that girl. Elsie's parents, Karolina and Frank, were immigrants from Czechoslovakia. Elsie was one of their seven children. Elsie lived at 2320 South Albany Avenue, and her aunt, Mrs. Trampota, lived on the other side of the block on Troy Street, less than a quarter of a mile away. Elsie often ventured out into the neighborhood to play with her cousins and neighborhood friends. As Elsie made her way around the block to Troy Street, she was distracted by the sound of music. Hi, Josie. What are you doing? Shh. We're listening to the music. Elsie's young cousin, Josie Trampota, and several other children were listening to an Italian-American hurdy-gurdy player. What on earth is a hurdy-gurdy? Hurdy-gurdy refers to two completely different instruments. The original hurdy-gurdy was a hand-cranked modified fiddle outfitted with a keyboard. But in 1911, a hurdy-gurdy was also what people called a form of portable organ known as a barrel organ. These instruments were popular because musicians only needed to turn a crank to play the music boxes. And the street musicians who played them were known as organ grinders. I've seen pictures of organ grinders. Why do they always have the monkeys with them? Organ grinders often employed monkeys to perform tricks or dance to the music. These street musicians were, of course, very popular with children. Elsie, her cousin Josie, and the other children were entranced by the organ grinder. They followed him down the block from Troy Street to 23rd Street. But the children eventually grew bored of the music. Come on, Elsie. Let's go play hide-and-seek at my house. No! I want to listen. I'm older, so I get to decide what we do. You're not the boss of me. (sighs) Last chance, Elsie. Are you coming? No! Fine. See you later. Josie and the other children left Elsie behind. They never saw her again. Later that afternoon, Elsie's mother, Carolina Parobek, walked over to her sister's house to check on her daughter. Carolina, is something the matter? Not at all. I just wanted to make sure Elsie wasn't giving you too much trouble. What do you mean? You don't have to pretend for my sake. She may look like an angel, but we both know the kinds of mischief Elsie can get into. Carolina, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Elsie told me she was coming to play at your house. She left hours ago. I haven't seen her all day. Does does Josie know where she is? Josie, have you seen Elsie? Not since this morning. Maybe we should go look for her. You worry too much. Elsie must have gone to play with a different friend. I'm I'm sure she'll be home by morning. (sighs) You're right. I'm being silly. Carolina assumed her daughter must be spending the night at a friend's home. But her husband, Frank, saw cause for alarm. I'm home. It's Daddy. What'd you do at work today? Hi, dear. Dinner's just about ready. Good, because I'm hungry enough to eat one of these rascals. (laughs) (laughs) But we're one child short for dinner. Where's Elsie? She's at a friend's house, I think. You think? Well, she told me she was going over to play with her cousin, but... My sister says she never stopped by. You're telling me that our little girl is missing and you've just been going about your day like nothing's wrong? You know how popular our Elsie is. She's probably spending the night with one of the other neighborhood girls. Then why didn't the other girl's mother let you know where Elsie is? I don't know. 
Maybe it slipped her mind. Or maybe Elsie's been kidnapped by gypsies. I don't think that's likely. Have you forgotten what happened to that other little girl? Snatched right in front of her own home by a pair of thieving gypsies. But... I've warned Elsie not to talk to the gypsies by the river. And when has Elsie ever listened to you? You have a point. You know the gypsies crave blonde-haired, blue-eyed little girls. They'd love to get their hands on our Elsie. Oh, Frank. You really think they took her? I'm going down to the station. We need to let the police know she's missing. Mommy? Is Elsie alright? Don't you worry. We'll get her home safe and sound. Our story will continue in a moment after the break. Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. Run your way. At IKEA, your dream home is a blue bag away. No matter the size of your space or budget, we've got everything you need to turn your dreams into reality. And now with new lower prices on hundreds of our most popular products, bringing the dream home is even easier. Like the gray strandum wing chair. Was $369, now $299. And the IKEA Plus 365 nine-piece cookware set was $129.99, now $89.99. And hundreds more. Shop new lower prices at ikea-usa.com today. And now, back to Unsolved Murders. Frank reported his missing daughter to the police, but they didn't take Frank's fears seriously either. Please, there must be something you can do. I just want my little girl back. Look, I think your wife is right. Your kid's probably spending the night at a friend's house. What if she isn't? What if she's been stolen? If she hasn't returned by tomorrow morning, come back and see us. Elsie did not return home the next morning. And the police started their search in earnest. Elsie's parents believed she had been taken by gypsies. So Inspector Stephen Healy assigned 12 detectives to check the gypsy encampments along the Des Plaines River. Wait a minute. Why was everybody blaming the gypsies? A couple reasons. For starters, gypsies, whether European, Romani, or Irish travelers, had been targets of racism and antiziganism for centuries. During World War II, Hitler didn't just try to exterminate the Jewish people, he tried to wipe out the Romani as well. So people held a lot of racist superstitions about gypsies. That they did. And especially pervasive belief people held about gypsies was that they were nothing more than petty criminals and thieves, and the one thing that the gypsies supposedly loved to steal, most of all? Children. Exactly. And this racist belief of gypsies as child snatchers lingers to this day. As recently as 2013, gypsies in Greece were accused of kidnapping a blonde, pale-skinned girl because they were darker skinned than she was. Authorities refused to believe that they had adopted the girl with the biological parents' permission, even though the biological parents later corroborated their story. Well, you said there were several reasons why the police suspected gypsies as the culprits. Aside from xenophobic superstitions, what were the other reasons? The second reason the police suspected gypsies had kidnapped Elsie was due to a similar kidnapping of a young girl that had occurred four years earlier in Chicago. 
Another girl was kidnapped by the gypsies? I'm not so sure I'd call them gypsies, but we'll get to that in a minute. In 1907, Lillian Wolfe was playing outside in the front yard when two women went into the house to read her mother's fortune. Hmm. This is bad. This is very bad. What is it? A great misfortune will soon befall your home. What kind of misfortune? That which you love most will be taken from you. This is nonsense. I want you both to leave. Not long after her mother had her fortune read, a woman approached eight-year-old Lillian as she played in the yard. Hello, sweetheart. What's your name? Lillian? What a pretty name. Thank you, ma'am. Such a well-behaved little girl. Say, would you like some candy? I sure would. I have lots of candy back at my home. If you come to visit me, you can have as much as you want. Really? Come along, I'll show you. The woman took Lillian by streetcar to the outskirts of town. She and her husband transferred Lillian to a covered wagon and covered her with rags to hide her from passers-by. They took the kidnapped girl on the road with them. Over the course of a week, they traveled from her home in Chicago to Moments. Lillian began to despair. She thought she would never see her parents again. Lillian's parents, meanwhile, were desperate to get their daughter back. They put out a reward of $1,000, the equivalent of offering $24,000 in today's currency. Yet despite the offered reward, there were no clues as to Lillian's whereabouts. But when the kidnappers reached Moments, investigators got a lucky break in the case. A farmer named Thomas Abbott spotted Lillian plodding along behind a covered wagon. Suspicious, he returned to the kidnappers' camp later that night and brought a can of milk. You folks in need of food? Why? I've got a can of milk with me if you'd like. I'll take that. With the little girl's guardian distracted, Abbott took the opportunity to talk to Lillian. What happened to your shoes, sweetheart? I, uh... I lost them. And you don't have any better fitting clothes? That shirt seems rather thin and worn. And it's awfully cold tonight. This is all I have now. Did you have more clothes before? Yes, sir. What's your name, child? Lillian Wolf. You little liar. Tell them your real name. Jones, like your mother. Uh, my name's Jones. Luckily, the farmer realized that Lillian was the kidnapped girl. He quickly informed Sheriff Riley, and the police raided the camp that night. Lillian was rescued and returned to her parents. So the kidnappers were caught. Most of the transients fled before police arrived. But police were able to catch and arrest the woman who had kidnapped Lillian along with her husband. It's kind of terrible that these particular Romani contributed to that noxious superstition about gypsies kidnapping children. Well, here's where it gets interesting. It's not clear that the couple actually were Romani. While the newspaper reporter's biases led them to simply label the couple as gypsies, the police interrogation of William and Alzina Jones revealed a complex, tangled web of secrets and lies. So where are you from originally? I was a motorman back in Omaha. And since you left that job? My wife and I have been living in the wagon for about five years now. Why'd you take that little girl, William? I swear I had nothing but good intentions. I'm not a bad man. But I had to do this for my wife. How's that? My wife and I had a had a sweet baby girl of our own once. And where's your girl now? She passed away. I'm sorry to hear that. My wife couldn't bear it. She nearly went mad from the grief. 
She longed for her daughter, you see. So that's why you took Lillian? She looked just like our little girl. I only wanted to see my wife smile again. But William Jones's wife, Irene Alzina, who simply went by Alzina, had a very different story to tell. This isn't my fault. It was all my husband's idea. I come from a good family. Tell us more about your family. What's your maiden name, Miss Jones? I can't tell you that. I don't want them involved. You say this was your husband's fault, but what proof do you have of that? You don't believe me? He's the criminal, not me. Do you have any proof or not? He served a term in Nebraska prison for burglary, and he served a term at Fort Leavenworth prison. What for? He robbed a schoolhouse. I'm going to have to check and see if your information holds up. Wait! You won't find him under the name William Jones. He has another name? His real name is Francis Birmingham. But you still won't tell us your real maiden name? None of this is my fault. My husband's a bad man, I'll admit, but I'm innocent. Lillian says you're the one that took her away. Seems to me like you're equally complicit. No. It was my husband's idea. He was the one who wanted to mistreat the girl. I told him we shouldn't hurt her, but he threatened to kill me. I'm afraid I don't find your story terribly convincing. There's more. She's not the first girl he's kidnapped. What? He's taken several children. What are their names? Well, there's one girl he tried to kidnap right before we took Lillian. Her name was... Uh, Hazel Samston. She's the daughter of a Salvation Army captain. But I stopped him. I didn't let him take her. He beat me good for that. Why'd you stop him? Mr. Samston and I worked together in the Salvation Army. I couldn't take my comrade's daughter. What about the other children? Remember any of their names? I can't say for all of them, but there was one girl from Kansas City, Kansas. Her name's Ella Kez. Where is she now? In a convent in Dubuque, Iowa. She goes by the name Lillian Birmingham. What a twisted tale. Did the police ever confirm whether Elzina was telling the truth or locate these other missing children? Unfortunately, the press's interest in Alzina and William Jones faded once Lillian Wolfe made it safely home. They didn't follow up on whether the police recovered Ella Kess or any other children. Did Alzina's attempts to blame her husband win her sympathy with the jury? Nope. Her strategy backfired. On February 20th of 1908, both William Jones and Alzina Jones were found guilty of kidnapping. William got 30 years in prison, and Alzina got 25. Whether or not Alzina Jones and William Jones really were Romani, the newspaper's reporters called them gypsies. And because Lillian Wolf's kidnapping occurred in Chicago only a few years before Elsie Parabek disappeared from her own Chicago home, Lillian's case was still fresh on everyone's minds. But yet, there was another reason that the police blamed gypsies for Elsie's disappearance. The police questioned the Parabek's neighbors, looking for witnesses who might have seen what happened to Elsie. A week after Elsie vanished, an 11-year-old neighbor named Joseph Jarowski, who lived down the street from Elsie, gave the police what seemed to be a crucial clue. Go ahead, son. Tell the detectives what you told me. I think I saw Elsie on the day she disappeared. What exactly did you see, Joseph? I need as many details as possible. She was in a gypsy wagon that drove by on the street. The women were holding her down so I couldn't get a good look at her. But I could hear her crying. Where did you see the wagon? 
A block over on Kedzie. And how many women were in the wagon with Elsie? Two women. And a man. Are you going to find the gypsies that took her? Well, we're going to do our very best. So Joseph never even saw Elsie. He just heard a child crying and assumed that it was Elsie. Yeah, that's right. Well, it seems like flimsy evidence at best. Did it occur to the detectives that the child Joseph heard crying could easily have been the Romani parents' kid? The police were desperate for a lead. And Joseph's story matched so perfectly with the kidnapping of Lillian Wolfe that they were inclined to give this evidence more credence than it perhaps deserved. Maybe Joseph's story matched with Lillian's because he'd heard about her kidnapping by gypsies from his parents. Given the prevalent anti-gypsy attitude, it wouldn't be surprising if Joseph's parents warned him to stay away from gypsies who might kidnap him. Right. So, when he saw gypsies with a crying child, he assumed the kid had to be the kidnapped Elsie. The police searched all over the nearby gypsy camps, looking for the blonde and blue-eyed Elsie, who was last seen wearing a red dress with black stockings and laced boots. But detectives found no child resembling Elsie. Due to the newspaper's reporting on the gypsy theories, tips came in from as far away as Illinois of people claiming that they'd seen little blonde girls in red dresses in gypsy camps who couldn't possibly be the daughters of gypsies. Yet, upon exhaustive investigation of all the gypsy camps, including the ones in Illinois, police discovered that these were all simply fair-haired gypsy children. The second week of Elsie's disappearance, Lillian Wolf herself offered to help investigators find Elsie. Miss Wolf, thank you for offering to help us look for Elsie Parabek. I just want to help in any way I can. Now, you went through quite a terrible experience with the gypsies yourself, didn't you? Yes, sir. I... I still have nightmares. What can you tell us about their ways? Anything. I know how they use little girls to beg for them at the farmhouses. I'm sure they'll whip Elsie if she doesn't get enough bacon and eggs for them. I certainly was. And maybe the kidnappers are going along the same road I went. I could lead police there. I remember every tree we passed. That'll be very helpful. So you'd be willing to lead a search party? I'd be happy to. You need to send Elsie's picture to all the nearby farms. Or, if you don't have a picture, send out a description. That's what saved me. The police also questioned Lillian's kidnapper, William Jones, to see if he could assist them in recovering Elsie. How do we find Elsie Parabek? You're asking the wrong man. Now you're wasting my time. We're done here. Wait! I mean that I'm not the one you should be looking to for answers. So who should I be talking to? Elijah George, the Gypsy King. If gypsies took that girl, then he'll know where she is. What exactly is a Gypsy King? The title of King of the Gypsies has meant different things at different times over the centuries. Sometimes the title was given to a Romani so that he could serve as a link between the Romani community and local authorities. This may have been the case with Elijah George. Police tracked Elijah George down to Argyle, Wisconsin. They arrested and questioned him. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the ParCast Network. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. 
Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. At Sephora, we know how you love to use makeup, skincare, hair care, and fragrances that work for you, but also how important it is to be in the know about the ingredients that are in them, which is why we created Clean at Sephora, curated products from brands like Merit, Amica, Summer Fridays, and Fleur that have everything you want, minus certain ingredients you might not. Clean at Sephora is only at Sephora. Shop now at Sephora.com. And now, back to our story. We know gypsies have Elsie, and we know you're their king. Stop playing dumb and tell us where she is. I don't know nothing about this missing girl, and neither do my people. If you lie to us, this won't end well for you. I swear on my life, my people didn't take her. Police let Elijah George go. And by April 23rd, their search of gypsy camps had spanned several states, yet there was no sign of Elsie. Detectives began to suspect that Elsie had been killed. They began searching basements and empty buildings in Elsie's Chicago neighborhood for her body. But Elsie's father, Frank, didn't want to give up hope his daughter was alive. He offered $50, or about $1,165 in today's currency, as a reward for finding her. Well, it may not seem like much, but it was his entire life savings. Frank became even more hopeful after consulting a medium, who confirmed his belief that Elsie had been kidnapped. Do you see anything? Any sign of my daughter at all? I see a road leading through a forest. On that road travel several covered gypsy wagons. In one of those wagons is a little girl crying for her parents. Her father is looking for her, and I feel him beside me now. That must be Elsie. Where is she? The gypsies are on their way to a nearby village. I can just see the shape of the buildings in the distance. What village? Uh, the name begins with A. That could be anywhere. Wait. The A is for Argo. Argo, Wisconsin. That's where you'll find your Elsie. Thank you. Thank you so much. People didn't really take this medium seriously, did they? Police took the medium's reading completely seriously. They assumed by Argo that the medium was referring to Argyle, Wisconsin. In response to the medium's prediction, a Czech Chicago politician named Charles Vapica sent an officer to Wisconsin to search the gypsy camps for Elsie again. But they found no sign of her. That psychic was probably just taking advantage of the news reports and preying on a worried father's desperation. True, especially since police at this point no longer believed they would find Elsie alive. Detectives began to suspect that perhaps Elsie had fallen into the river and drowned. They dragged the canals multiple times looking for Elsie's body, but they didn't find her. Elsie's numerous friends searched the neighborhoods for her. There were so many children searching for Elsie that it attracted the attention of the media. On April 30th, Ella Young, the superintendent of the Chicago School District, asked all of the 200,000 children in the district to use their spring break to search for Elsie. The local Czech community also helped hunt for Elsie Parubek. 
Since the Parobeks were Bohemian Czechs, the Bohemian community especially rallied behind them. The Bohemian Charitable Association offered a reward of $500 for information on Elsie, equivalent to almost $13,000 today. A Czech-American judge and member of the U.S. House of Representatives named Adolf Sabbath took an active interest in the case. He personally contributed $100 to the reward fund for Elsie, equivalent to about $2,500 in today's currency. Yet despite the extensive funds provided for information on Elsie, there were no new clues. Sabbath began to suspect that Elsie had been kidnapped by someone with a vendetta against the Parubeks. He interviewed the family, trying to discover if there was someone who hated Frank or Carolina enough to take Elsie. Do you know of anyone with a grudge against you? No. Think carefully. Maybe something happened years ago, something that you forgot about. And maybe someone has been harboring ill will towards you ever since. I'm a house painter. I don't have enemies. What about you, Carolina? Can you think of anyone? No. I'm sure it's the gypsies that took her. I keep seeing her in my dreams. I'm so afraid they're going to kill her. Don't worry, Carolina. The medium promised that Elsie was alive. Sabbath began looking into Carolina's and Frank's history for murder suspects, though he didn't find any answers. Two days later, an electrical engineer named George Scully was working at the Lockport power plant when he noticed something floating in the canal. Scully and his fellow employees eventually realized that the object floating in the water was a girl's body. They brought her corpse back to shore by boat. The undertaker, William Goodale, quickly suspected that he knew the identity of this little girl. Do you think it's her? It's hard to say for sure. There's been so much deterioration. The red dress and stockings match the girl's description, and she has blonde hair. (sighs) We better call Chicago PD. Chicago detectives brought Elsie's father, Frank, to Lockport to identify her body. Are you ready? Show me. Oh, God. Is it her? I'm... I'm not sure. The dress is right, but... There's nothing left of her face. We need you to be sure. Carolina will know if it's her. Elsie's mother, Carolina, was brought to the undertakers the following day. (laughs) Mrs. Parabek? My baby. My dear girl. You're home now. You're safe. Those gypsies can't hurt you anymore. Carolina positively identified Elsie. Detectives quickly scheduled an inquest. The moment the coroner and the physicians began examining the body, Frank made his opinions on the cause of his daughter's death very clear. Mr. Parabek, exactly how old is your daughter? Are there any clues? Is there any way to tell who the murderer is? We don't know for sure if she was murdered yet. We'll have to fully examine your daughter's body before we determine how she died. I already know how she died! Some bastard killed her! Despite seeming to leap to conclusions, the coroners and examining physicians discovered that Frank Parabek was correct. Elsie had been murdered. 
There was no fluid in Elsie's lungs, which meant she was already dead before she was put in the water. The problem was, no one could agree as to exactly how Elsie was murdered. Two of the physicians, Dr. Kingston and Dr. Paddock, thought that Elsie was strangled to death. Look at this. There's a deep cut on the side of her face. And blue marks around the neck. The killer must have choked her to death. Given the anogenital injuries, it appears we're looking for some sort of pervert. Agreed. This is the work of a fiend who likes little girls, not gypsies. So the killer was a pedophile? That's what Kingston and Paddock thought. But two other doctors who examined Elsie, LeCount and Hunter, came to a strikingly different conclusion. No signs of violence, and no marks on the neck either. I don't think she was strangled. Looks to me like the killer suffocated her to death. I think you're right. Because the coroners couldn't come to an agreement on how Elsie died, the official cause of death was listed as unknown. Nevertheless, most of the coroners did agree that Elsie had been murdered. The reward to find Elsie now became a reward to find her killer. Thousands of mourners attended Elsie's funeral, which was held on the Parobeck's front lawn. Elsie's father, Frank, vowed not to rest until her killer was found. But who was the killer? Did gypsies kidnap Elsie like Frank and Carolina believe? Hurry, hide the girl. Was it the peddler who police suspected liked to lure little girls to his makeshift shack by the canal? Come into my hut, little girl. I have a present for you. What kind of present? You'll see. Come along. Was the killer the one who sent anonymous letters to Elsie's parents? Hmm. Yeah. Look, you don't want me to translate this. Why? What does it say? Well, the writer says he took Elsie away from you because you didn't take care of her. He says you abused her. Who the hell wrote these lies? It's anonymous. Was the killer the religious young man who ran from the police when they tried to question him? Stop running! We just want to talk to you! Look out! Gun! Most intriguing of all, was the murderer a man who formed his own children's protective society? A man who spent his life writing and illustrating an immense novel about little girls who suffer gruesome, bloody deaths. A man who gave Elsie Parabek a starring role in his novel as the child martyr Annie Ehrenberg. A man whose art depicting Annie and those other little girls is now worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Dear Lord, I have prayed and prayed to you. I have performed endless novenas. All I ask is that Annie's picture be returned to me. Is that too much to request of you, Lord? I warned you. I've set my last deadline. If I do not find Annie's picture, then the Glandolinians will win the war against the good Christian nations. Countless little girls will be massacred. Is that what you want, Lord? Will innocent children suffer because you will not listen to my prayers? <sighs> Fine. They will all die horribly, and it will be your fault. Join us next week as we try to uncover who really killed Elsie Parabek.
Don't forget to subscribe to Unsolved Murders on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on Facebook or Twitter at Parcast Network. A new episode comes out every Tuesday, and next Tuesday we'll continue our investigation into the case of Elsie Parubek. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. If we make it till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is a part of the Parcast Network. It's produced by Ron and Max Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro and Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Maggie Admire and written by Jeanette Manning. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Jerry Courtney Austin, Mike Capozzi, Kimberly Holland, Joshua Kahn, Mick Lambeth, Janice Liebhart, Harris Markson, Nicholas Massu, Sammy Nye, and Steve Pinto. <laughs>